everyone. Welcome to the Lifted Podcast. I'm your host, Helen Denham, and this is a place for us to talk about what we're doing every day to raise our vibration and understand ourselves more deeply as energetic beings and co-creators. All right. Hi, everybody. I hope you're having a beautiful day wherever you are. Hopefully you're staying hydrated, you're breathing deeply, you're moving your body, (laughs) all the good vibes. I'm going to take my own advice there. Um, So if you're here on this Wednesday morning, thank you so much. I love you. I see you. And if you're new to this community, episodes drop every Wednesday morning. And I'm so happy that you found the podcast. Really excited to share this episode with you today and definitely go back and browse through past podcast guests. We've had some just amazing discussions on here. Um, And just a couple little updates for you before we dive in. I know I don't talk a whole lot about myself and my own journey on this show too much, but uh, I did an about me video um, that I just put on YouTube. It's on the homepage of my website as well. So if you guys are curious just about my story, my journey, and why I'm so obsessed with talking about uh, mental and spiritual well-being, check that out. We cover some, you know, heavy and joyful topics, and it might give you some extra insight that you might be curious about. And I will also do a much more extended version of that on the podcast in the coming weeks and just sit down and do just a nice hour of talking about what the last 10 years have looked like in my life. Um, And in the meantime, I'm also on some other beautiful women's shows uh, coming up. So Keep checking in on my website um, on the homepage. I'm going to be linking all the episodes that I'm, I've been on and I'm about to be on. So all the good stuff in the works out here. But anyways, why don't we dive into today's discussion? I am so freaking excited to share this episode with you guys. We've got Tori Washington joining us and... Uh, Tori, I mean, I saw her speak in a masterclass around business with Natalia Benson recently, who I think you guys know I love. I talk about her pretty frequently, Um, but they were doing like a money mastermind and Tori is one of the most powerful speakers I've seen. Like she completely changed my vibration when I was watching her on the Zoom call. She just lit up something inside of me, some kind of fire, like she talks all about um, wealth and finances and abundance from an energetic standpoint. Um, But she brought me to tears and she just, I think she's so important for women right now and uh, women coming into their entrepreneurship and starting businesses. She is just an incredible guide. So to tell you a little bit more about her, Tori is an embodiment facilitator. She's a keynote speaker and she's a business mentor living in Southern California. And she infuses embodiment, inner child healing, and marketing strategy, which has helped her to serve over 1,500 women uh, and help them transform their businesses from the inside out. And she really believes that your business is basically your spiritual awakening. And she's really become known as this kind of bridge between soul and strategy in the coaching industry. And she challenges the status quo and calls forth all of us coaches in the coaching industry and spiritual community to raise their standards and step into new standards of financial liberation and ethical marketing and inclusivity. 
And I really love how she uh, deciphers these two words, coach and entrepreneur. So she defines coach as a person with a particular skill set of asking powerful questions that spark insight and facilitate transformation. An entrepreneur is a way of being, the journey of embodying the solutions that God has placed on your heart, a willingness to carry out the ideas for humanity to evolve. So, I mean, she's about to light you guys up. I'm so excited. It's been such a pleasure listening back to this episode as I've been editing and preparing this for you. She is an absolute gift. So, um, while you're listening as well, go check her out on Instagram. She's at I am Tori Washington and ToriWashington.com. And I'm at Helen Denham underscore and Helen Denham.com. So, hit us up. Let us know what you're learning as you listen. We'd love to hear from you. And if you feel like a friend might benefit from this, please send it along. I think all women should hear this honestly, uh, because we're breaking down some of the taboos around money. And when women have money, they do good things. Um, I know that's a blanket statement, but uh, I think women are changing the world right now. So enjoy this episode and I will talk to you on the flip side. The first question I always love to ask guests is how do you like to start your day off? Do you have a rising routine or ritual that you go to? I read this question and I was like, yikes, I'm probably going to be the most boring answer because I just don't, (laughs) I don't do really well with routines. I'm more of a spontaneous person in terms of how I move into the day. Um, I do tend to uh, my I'll talk about my ideal morning in an ideal world. I wake up and I don't always want to, but I do have a trainer that I work out with three days a week. And those are my favorite mornings because I find that my favorite way is just to get up and move. And no matter what I do, even if I were to meditate or have a cup of coffee first, I always have to go through the head to move past something because I'm just a, more of a heady person by nature, which is probably why I love to teach embodiment. But the mornings where I just get up and go to the gym end up being the best days. And it's interesting because my mind will convince me that I'm tired and I don't want to do this and I just want to meditate. But there's so much power in just getting up and doing something that you, um, you know is going to serve your soul. So that's my favorite. And then afterwards, I love a good cup of coffee. I have this magic coffee elixir. And I'll usually do a prayer or some sort of connection with God. And then we begin the day. Beautiful. And you know what? I love that your answer isn't too rigid or, you know, strict. And I know that a lot of people also aren't necessarily their best selves in the morning. Sometimes people are more of night owls and they have more nighttime rituals. Mm -hmm. But um, I also love what you say about just kind of doing it, even if you might not feel like it, like developing that discipline, it sounds like is uh, Mm -hmm. coming through in your workouts. Yes. Yes. It's been one of the best investments I've ever made, not just in myself, but my business, because I believe that there's a level of vitality that you access when you are doing something outside of your comfort zone. It's a different flavor of vitality that simply won't arrive when we're doing something comfortable. So I'm a gymnast by nature and a yogi. And so my body knows those shapes so fluidly that I almost just kind of rinse and repeat. But with working out, it's so out of my comfort zone, doing powerlifting and things like that, that I actually access this new vitality that takes me to different experiences within myself. So Mm -hmm. I think a variety of different movements is what's more important than anything. 
Yeah. And I assume that that would build your confidence as well throughout the other little tasks that come during the day. Just, you know, you can push through your workout. How you do one thing is how you do everything. Do you find that that's Mm -hmm. true in your business too? Yes. I feel with the, with hiring a trainer, it was a really big breakthrough because as entrepreneurs, our biggest focus most of the time until we stabilize is how to create more income, how to increase the profit, how to increase your profit margin. And that shows in the way that we invest, especially in the coaching industry. It's what's the next coach I want to invest in? What's the next program I want to invest in? What's next mastermind? Rightfully so, because we're growing. We want to get close proximity to powerful people who are doing what we want. But I really felt this call inside of, I don't necessarily want another coach. I want to invest in my quality of life. And it really showed me the power of scaling to your lifestyle versus scaling just for profit all the time. And as I made this investment, it was like, I have to say between this and my accountant and my bookkeeper, those were like my top three investments. And they were the ones that was most resistant to because it's more of a long game. There's not this quick hit of, oh my God, I just invested in this big program and I'm going to make this money back. It had this different language to it. So I was really investing in my vitality, my body, my, you know, anybody can make money, I always say, but not everybody's going to feel good as they do it. And I was like, I really want to show my community that your vitality gets to increase with your wealth, your strength, your abundance and everything gets to continue to rise. But so does your energy. And so does your, your quality of living and your quality of experiencing your body. So this has been such a powerful lesson for me in many ways. And so it has impacted my, I wouldn't say necessarily confidence, but it's, it's really impacted my relationship with myself and how I experience and feel my body, which is huge. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. I would love to hear as well about your backstory. Uh, You know, your upbringing, what was your upbringing like? What has your life been like up to this moment, I guess? And then we can get into your money story specifically. Yeah. I grew up in the Midwest. I was born in Connecticut, grew up in the Midwest. My parents are divorced. They divorced when I was six years old and I grew up in a biracial family. So my dad's black, my mom is white. And so I grew up always understanding and holding two different realities. The reality of my father, the reality of my mother are very, very different. Not only just them as individuals, but their backgrounds, their ancestral history, their bloodlines. And for a while, I was always resentful of that because it comes with a lot of responsibility. And in order to survive an environment that consistently changed and contradicted itself, I developed this really serious identity. I think a lot of women and women of color absolutely can identify with this responsibility of like holding it down. Like there's not time to play. There is no, let's just hang out. It's big shit is happening and I need to make sure I keep it together. So I held this really serious identity and it served me in so many ways because I was always that kid that, you know, buried herself in books and really just loved understanding how humans work. And so it showed in the way that I lived, but it also showed in the way that I didn't live and didn't play and didn't allow myself that, that freedom. So going into my twenties, I had this really rebellious nature, you know, and I think the responsible kids can probably resonate with me where it's like, I don't want any responsibilities. So I would like scream from the rooftops that I don't need money. And I was planning on moving to India to teach yoga. And I kept telling my mom, like, I'm going to, 
love what I do and make money. I don't need to worry about it. And she was like, okay, I just need to get comfortable and get a job. <laughs> I was like, no. So my 20s were this rebellious streak of really trying to find the rhythm between my disruptor, my inner disruptor, and my dharma and my purpose. And things really started to click for me when I found yoga and started to teach yoga. I realized how powerful of a speaker I am, humble brag, and how much I love to use words as a way to access points of the body. And I think like every mid 20 year old, my life like fell apart. I got unengaged, moved across the country, sold all my things. And that's when I started my business. And that's when everything in my life changed. And I really repaired my relationship with spirituality, with money, with responsibility through the journey of entrepreneurship. Mm. And we ended up, um, I moved to San Diego temporarily, ended up staying permanently and had a really up and down first year of business, filed bankruptcy, all the things. And after that moment of filing bankruptcy, we transcended. And when I say we, I feel like me and God transcended and uh, we had our first six figure month and our first six figure year, excuse me. And everything's just been skyrocketing since then. So many little baby steps and also utilizing the, the identity of that seriousness, just understanding why that part of me existed and then matching it with the safety and really using my work to, to, to move through me so that I can help as many other people as possible. Mm, yes. It reminds me of, you know, I've had this conversation with some wonderful entrepreneurs as well as, is when you step into being of service and take that on as your primary mission is to always be of service. It seems like that really starts to change the lives of people. Did you find mm -hmm. that that was your kind of shift? Like, was there a moment that you remember where you were like, oh, okay, things are starting to get good again. And what was it that, that helped you in that transition? Hmm. So for me, and I think that a lot of people listening will resonate with this. There were many moments where I, I, it felt like, ooh, things are starting to get good again. And then they weren't. And that was the same environment I was used to growing up. Like things would be good. And then all of a sudden we wouldn't have money or they were getting divorced or like, what just happened? I thought we were doing good. So I was unconsciously in that environment, even as an adult. And so every time something got good for me personally, that didn't feel safe. And so I would create chaos or something familiar that I could survive in. So I think for me, what is the biggest memory is when I made the choice that I don't have to always learn through pain. And that's when I let go of good or bad. And I call it the equilibrium where I met this really beautiful part of myself that was done making anything wrong and who was really committed to I call um, Lizzie Jeff calls it manifested curriculum is is in the manifested curriculum sometimes and we're learning or we are resting or we're playing but there's never a right or a wrong and for me in my background that was such a healing moment of deciding that mm, yeah so good I think a lot of us can relate to that because and it takes a lot of objective observation to know when we're creating chaos and self-sabotage in our own lives because we're afraid of life being good and easy and joyful. And uh, one of the things that you have said recently um, that I just loved so much is that wealth is a choice. 
And uh, it's an identity that we step into. I'd love to have you mm -hmm. expand on that a little bit and hear more about how it is a choice and that we're not victims of life, but there is a, a real stepping into your power there. Yeah, the choice point. So I really break it down in three categories. And I do it this way because I'm a woman of color and because I grew up in a biracial household. So I'm not ignorant to racism, unconscious biases, projections all the things. And I think this way really takes into consideration the intersection of privilege, choice, wealth, abundance. So I think of abundance as, you know, spirituality really captured that word and made it safe for humanity to use. And a lot of people kind of just tacked money onto that, like, oh, abundance means I'm abundant, meaning I have money. And I think that was a lot of people's first introduction of ever playing with the quote unquote energy of money. And then above that, we start to hear the word prosperity. So now we're getting more specific about abundance. We're talking about cash or money. And then to me, there's a whole nother room called wealth. Now, abundance is more of a, by definition, it's an abundance of something. So it could be an abundance of grief, an abundance of love. It could be many things. So that's really vague. And then prosperity, I think that everybody rich dad poor dad talks about this but i think there's one thing that he left out is that he says um abundance is everyone's birthright but not everyone is trained to see it and what he left out is that's on purpose so when we're considering the whole and we're really looking at for me as a woman of color it's like okay i get it prosperity is real abundance is my birthright but i've not only been trained not to see it that's also been on purpose and so as I was going through my journey of money, most of the traditional teachings didn't land because I was moving through other things in my nervous system that were holding me back from really being able to believe that. So I really looked at the word wealth. Okay. When I look at wealth, that feels like more of an identity. And that's something that I can choose no matter what amount is in my bank account, no matter the color of my skin, if I can choose that identity, and I can believe in that identity, then I can form my own inner economy that then reflects the energy of money that I wanna be in a relationship with. And I think that is the most powerful choice that a woman can make, especially a woman of color. And that's why I'm so passionate about this work is because I never guarantee that it's gonna be easy. I don't wanna just teach you how to manifest and raise your vibration. I wanna teach you how to choose the identity of wealth which is going to call you into a bigger conversation with yourself. Because the moment I chose that identity, I also chose to transcend the scarcity in my bloodline, not just mine, but my mother's, my father's, my grandmother's, like that's really what I was choosing. And then prosperity is a byproduct of that identity. And the reason why women love to work with me is because I think we're craving that bigger conversation. I think a lot of us are really like, huh, okay, there's gotta be a little bit more to this. What's, what's the catch here? Where are we going with it all? So I'm really proud of us as a collective because I think we graduated from the spiritual Olympics and we're really in this energy of what's the legacy? What's the bigger why? Why am I actually choosing this? And when you make that choice, your perception changes, your beliefs change. And over time, you just begin to live differently.
Mm-hmm. Ooh, so many, so many amazing things here, especially the ancestral trauma that you're touching on and that you're healing lineage, you know, past and future across timelines as you're doing this work is so, so powerful. Um, what were some of the, the self-limiting beliefs that you were working through initially as it related to scarcity that you said, oh, okay, that needs to change for me to step into this identity? Like, what were some of those self-limiting beliefs that you, you yourself and your community that you find are working through? I think there's a difference between self-limiting beliefs, which we'll all have as a collective and then lived experiences. So on the surface, there's the self-limiting beliefs of, for me, a lot of it became down to belonging. Do I belong in a wealthy room? Do I belong with money? Do I belong with power? Like I once feared the power that I had because I fear to be taken away. So all those are are self-limiting beliefs. But the bigger conversation is what lived experiences formed those. And that is when I really realized that some of this was passed down to me. So I think of it as we don't pass down limiting beliefs or money, like the cash. We pass down how we feel in relationship with money. So no matter how much mindset work I would do, I can't mindset myself away from I in my bloodline, there is a history of racism and oppression that comes with the feeling that you're going to lose everything or it's going to be taken or held back from you. So that's where on the surface I had to address, okay, here's what my narrative is. I've come up with, I'm not worthy. I don't belong all the normal ones. I think it's normal to feel that at some point. And then when I really got deeper, I was like, okay, what's informing that is this lived experience. So we're all going to have different lived experiences. But if you look at limiting beliefs, we kind of all have the same limiting beliefs. So I like to teach it in different sections just to honor the different layers of who you are. But the main one for me, if I really, if I were to like zoom in on one to answer your question specifically is belonging, is really feeling like, do I belong? Which is, Mm -hmm. I've found at the base of a lot of people's wall and barrier is if you don't feel like you belong in the room, you're going to take the long way. But the Mm -hmm. moment you feel like you belong, you're going to walk straight into the room. So a lot of people are doing things and all I'm watching them is, oh, I don't belong. Oh, I don't belong. So let me do this course. Let me do that. Let me do that. Let me do that. Versus I belong and I'm going to walk in the room. Mm-hmm. So that's the number one. Oh, good. Yeah, so good. It's almost like we try to justify our worthiness by building all these credentials that we might not necessarily need to even access that portal um, because it's like a safety blanket. Um, but where is mm-hmm. that meeting point? Because at, at some, we do kind of have to establish ourselves as experts, I guess, in, in a field before we step in. But, but what's the balance there? Like of being an expert and knowing that you do have a place there. And then, do you know what? I, I hope I'm making mm-hmm. sense. You know what yeah. I mean? Yeah. How would you, how would you help us? I always that? teach it through the lens of leadership and the context of leadership. And I think that within every single person, there is a flavor of leadership Some people will access it in this life. Some people will avoid it. Some people will abuse it. And that's your journey. And when we take away the word expert, now we're working with something to me that's bigger, which is leadership and Mm -hmm. value and culture. And what are you contributing to the marketplace? 
you don't have to contribute everything, but what is the main thing that you're contributing? And then beyond that, as a leader, what's your reputation? So I always coach my clients in reputation because it asks them, what do you want to be known for? Which inevitably causes them to repeat the same effective communication or thing enough times that they become known for it. Whereas I think if you look at it through the lens of the expert, we go back to like the school book definition, which is do this 10, 100,000 times, do a certification, da, 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 and then you're going to be worthy. But I do think that if you look at it through the lens of leadership, now we're working with something a little bit more robust and you actually will go further because if you get so attached to being an expert in one thing, you kind of stunt your growth. You're going to keep changing and you're going to keep evolving and understanding new things. So I look at leadership and reputation and if you can commit to that, then you're golden. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You d- you had a great live recently on Instagram. You were teaching us like the three R's that I remember writing. Yes. What was the, what yep. was the third one? It was like reputation, rep- repetition. In relationships. Oh yeah. Yeah. That yep. was great. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Those are huge. They're yes. everything. And what would you say to people, I mean, who have this narrative locked in their mind that uh, wealthy people are not evil, but like money is, is a problem in the world. And like, there's a guilt around making money. I find that this is something I've been working through hugely, especially as mm-hmm. I speak with my family members, like excited about money, talking about wealth, talking about big things. And they're like, woo, like, okay, a little selfish. <laughs> like it makes me, yes. feel, you know, there's a guilt attached to it. So how have you worked through those kinds of blocks? That's such a good question. I have to tell you that this is coming up big time in the collective and it's coming up big time with entrepreneurs because if you think about it, I always teach through definitions. I love the English language and looking up words. I think that there's like codes and information in them. So when I look up the word entrepreneur, it says that person is going to take more financial risks than the average human being. So you've got a little bit of a split, right? So the last year there's been people went from corporate America to laid off to many different things that happen as entrepreneurs. A lot of us took risks in the last year. A lot of us, we, we had to, and or chose it and or stepped into it even more. So we built this different perspective of what it means to make money. And it just comes with the role of being an entrepreneur. So when you bring that to family or you bring that to somebody who's living in a completely different economy, living in a completely different perspective, there's clashing, there's controversy, there's, it can sometimes feel confronting and hostile. So I, I don't have the perfect answer, but here's how I've moved through it. Number one, I think that everyone gets to address their rich wound. So above wealth, there's the word rich and not many people want to go anywhere near that word because of the narratives that live rightfully so. But I do think that if you're going to choose the wealth identity, it is in your responsibility to also choose to be rich. And notice when I say that word, like, oh gosh, really tore. Like, can I just be prosperous? That sounds cuter. Can I just be <laughs> abundant? But what about rich? Oh like, yeah. We have to heal that rich wound because the rich wound is what holds a lot of people back from truly embodying all of it in every room. Because what you're doing is essentially, okay, I'll be wealthy with my entrepreneurs, 
I'll be prosperous with my girlfriends because they get that word. And then I'll be somewhere between abundance and relatable with my family. And all that split energy causes, wreaks havoc on the nervous system because we don't want anybody to judge us. We don't want anybody to call us a sellout. You're leaving me behind. What are you doing? I can't make sense of it. You're unrelatable. Those are some of my biggest fears to ever hear as I was growing my business. So I think we have to address the rich wound first and foremost. You really have to come into a different relationship with that word so that it no longer threatens your nervous system. And then you won't feel like you're threatening anyone else's nervous system by being the fullness of your wealthy self. So that's your own work that you get to do. Then on the front end, what I've come to realize and learn is that I think about my own life and I really spend a lot of time feeling into this. And I say this with absolute empathy, integrity, and sensitivity. But I've, I was sitting on the porch, just recapping everything that's happened this year, my story. And I felt in my heart, what makes me sad, honestly, is that I truly believe if I can do it, anybody can do it, but not everybody will. And I don't know why. Like I, I think that there's many circumstances. I know there's so many environments that are holding people back. I was in those environments at one point. And if I could go into every room and just pull them up and be like, please, let's go. Like, I, I promise I'll pave the way. I'll, I'll start the nonprofit. I'll start the membership. Like I've got all these things I want to start and still not everybody's going to come. Mm -hmm. And I came to a point where I realized that that's just how it is that everybody's on their own journey. And if I seek for everyone to understand my success or my bigness or my greatness or my power, I will continue to stall it. I've got to hold the torch and hold the vision and stay in the room as long as I can so that as many people as possible also can see that mirror. And we just have to come to peace with relationships will change, dynamics are gonna change because when money's in the conversation, we're talking about more than just cash, we're talking about years and decades of programming. So when you get rich, when I'm rich and every, like it changes your family, like energetically, cellularly, it changes. And I don't think a lot of entrepreneurs are prepared for those conversations and those dinner tables. And so that's why I love this work because I can sit in front of you all day and talk numbers, but to do it with my mother, it's like, ugh. I still get sweaty. I'm like, Ma, we did six figures this month. And she's like, you deserve it. She doesn't even know what to say. Like, that's all she knows <laughs> what to say. Yeah. But, you know, like my sister's like, whoa, how'd you do that? Like, what mm -hmm. are you doing? And so I think that we have to get, we have to be strong in our own knowing, knowing yourself so you can hold them. Okay. So they don't impact you. You hold yours. And then you start to open up the conversation. You start to be the example. You start to soften, soften the body, soften the breath so that you're not going into, I don't want to be too rich because then I'll be bad. So there's yeah. the self-work and then it does come back to family, family lines. Hey there, just popping in for a second to tell you about my new offering, Cultivating Confidence. 
This is an online self-mastery course that I've been developing over the last few months, but I honestly feel like I've been working on this for my entire life. <laughs> and I'm so happy and I'm so grateful to be at a point now where I'm really able to share this with the women in my community. So it's an online go at your own pace course with eight modules and it includes EFT tapping, guided visualization meditations, affirmations, transformational workbook prompts, goal setting, developing a daily practice and so much more good stuff. I've really included actionable steps in every single module for you so that you are really doing the work and you're going to discover a lot about yourself through doing this. It's really amazing what happens when we invest in ourselves and show up for ourselves. It's a way of communicating to ourselves that we love ourselves and that we believe in ourselves. So if you're ready to look into this and you're ready to take the next step and really step into the next version of yourself and align with that highest version of yourself, this might be just the thing for you. So you can go to HelenDenham.com to check that out and you'll see a link for the course and let me know if you have any questions, but thank you so much for listening and back to our conversation. Yeah. It reminds me of our, your earlier point about belonging and how everybody, you know, you could pull them out, but if they don't want to go, they're not going to come along. And I think so much of that has to do with like the fear that you'll lose people that you're close to. And that's about breaking out of our comfort zones. And it's like, mm -hmm. okay, if I expand beyond them, I'm not going to have the same friends. I'm not going to live in the same neighborhood maybe. And like, maybe people just get so comfortable in that bubble that they don't even desire to break out of it. So, yeah. um, yeah, that's, yeah. that's, it gives me chills to think about it. Cause I'm like, Oh, who am I going to, am I going to lose friends or something? You know, I remember we always mm -hmm. had like a, a wonderful family that we've always been close with growing up and they had, were so wealthy, rich. And it was always known in the house, like, do not tell anybody how much money they have. Keep it quiet. Oh. Don't, don't tell them that they have a private jet. Don't tell people that we, you know, that we, it was very hush hush. It was like a pact in the house. Do not talk about the money. So, I mean, wow, that's just what my that? programming. Yeah. yeah, I'm curious. How did that inform your association with being rich? Well, it was just that always keep it private because somebody might take advantage of me um, when I have money or if I have money. So um, maybe it's best to actually not have that much money or always be, you know, be secretive about what I'm making or not be too big because people are going to take from me and uh, leech on me. Um, yeah. So a lot of my work has just been, been around sovereignty and, and knowing that uh, even if that comes, I'll be okay. I'm, I'm safe. I'm protected. I'm in my worth. And um, maybe that'll be inevitable. But uh, yeah, it's been a lot of breaking that boundary. Like, okay, it's not rich is not a dirty word. That was their reality. I can choose another. And, you know, doing a lot of work with Lacey Phillips to be magnetic program has been beautiful mm -hmm. because I've found expanders, you know, to show me that like wealth can be beautiful and uh, help your community instead of push people away. Let's bring people in. And especially yeah. with women, like, we have, we make beautiful choices with money. I like to believe that, that as we get wealthier, our communities get wealthier as well. And, and we yeah. change the world for the good. So that's another yeah. thing I'd love to talk to you about as well is like feminine embodiment and, and shifting this masculine narrative around money into bringing this beautiful feminine touch to it and still being able to accumulate these, you know, wealthy lifestyles. Mm -hmm. Well, I teach money as not necessarily an energy, but a relationship. So I, I have played with 
there's two different ways I'll teach this. And I think that it's for the betterment of the collective. I look at money as a feminine consciousness. This is my perspective and in, in me personally, it's this feminine consciousness that reflects me. So the number one question I ask money and I have all my clients ask. So if you're listening to this, write this down and practice it for the next 24 hours, ask money, what's it like to be in relationship with me? And what I heard was like, oh God, it feels like you're in a jail cell. You're just useless. You're like not anything. I can't rely on you, all these different things. And that's what money reflected back to me. And then I, I've realized in that moment that that's how I feel about me my feminine. And then I realized that's why money comes to most, this is women or anybody who's in socialized female. I believe that we go on a specific sacred journey with money through the lens of desire mm. and desire happens when safety and pleasure intersect. So there's this power that happens when specifically a woman starts to treat money like a woman you start to inevitably treat yourself better. You respect yourself more. You honor yourself more. You, you don't control it. You really be in relationship with it, just like your feminine wants. I think about my partner Q. If he needed me for everything, I'd be like, ugh, get out. No. <laughs> so when he desires me, when he honors me, when he finds ways to circulate and exchange with me, that's when I feel most amplified. So for me, that's how I teach specifically in some cases money. I've also played with money being non-binary and it just being this really not even being money, but being a consciousness. I'll, I'll talk about wealth consciousness and what that brings into the conversation is liberation and elevating from cash to rich. So you got cash, wealth really finding your richness, your purpose, your giving back into the world. So that for some people, depending on where you are in your journey is how I'll teach that. Because for some people to hear that money is a feminine consciousness is like real triggering. But if we take the other approach for some people, it's way more powerful to start off with a more binary perspective mm -hmm. of non-binary perspective of wealth consciousness. And okay, how can I adopt that consciousness as my main ecosystem and then create byproducts of cash investments assets whatever it is so i think there's a couple different lanes you can drive in with that but we in general we get to stop treating money like it's this thing that we have to earn and grip to and like you're talking about the masculine approach of like conquering it mm -hmm. because if we keep doing that then we're not ever going to use money for the goodness it's meant to be used for. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I'm loving your point and practice around asking money what its relationship is to you. And uh, as I was starting to do this work more intentionally, I was like, Oh, I, I've been afraid to look at my bank accounts. I've been afraid to even actually look at the numbers and actually organize it. Um, and then I realized as I paid more attention and more loving attention and got excited mm -hmm. and started to have fun with it, things started to grow. Um, even, you know, I was just being smarter about it and more like compassionate in a way to and with my money. So yes. that's, that's such a great practice that you recommend. I love that. Yeah. Highly recommend it because a lot of people, if you think about it, we use when you're, when you're, when you're first learning about money, 
like my first memory of money was the garage sales. I used to love doing the cash register. So it was like, this is so cool. Like they get an object and we pay. Like I just love the whole math of it. And I never, we never sat down to think of money outside of that context of it's part of your survival. So I think that in many cases, people avoid because it's not talking to their desire. It's not talking to their liberation. It's not talking to their bigness. So for many people like you, just even starting to look at your bank account through a new lens, I mean, you'd be surprised how much that can open up. But we think like it has to be this big, complicated journey. And I just want to remind anybody listening that every little step and little shift counts in the bigger paradigm that you're recreating. Mm, yeah, absolutely. It's just triggering this little memory from me. I mean, it's just been in the past couple of years that with my father and my stepmom, I've started to straight up ask them about like uh, real estate. Like how much mm. did you sell this house for? How much did you buy it for? What was your profit? How are you investing it? Like, give me the actual numbers because it's always been so hush hush. And they're all like, whoa. I'm like, you guys have to teach us this. Like, we're, how else do you want us to find out? We want to see how this is happening. And uh, mm -hmm. as we've opened up that portal, like it goes back to kind of ancestral, like family healing, because now my stepmom and I love to talk about money. I'm teaching her about Bitcoin and we're just excited. And it's just like, as one of us grows, we all grow. So I just love that teaching. And it, that it brings so me expansive. so much joy. Yeah. 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 And my sister too. It's all of us being like, okay, let's now let's help each other. Mm -hmm. um, but I wanted to ask you as well about how you perceive manifestation um, and how we can reframe manifestation into like understanding that there has to be conscious action taken with the wish and the desire in a way. Because I think a lot of us are starting to realize that like we, we can't just put it out there and we have to work with the universe in tandem to, to cultivate the life that we want. So what's mm -hmm. your perception of manifestation like? My perception has changed over the years with my own evolution and understanding of different things. I'll speak into how I um, feel about it today, but this does not reflect how I've talked about it before. So I just want to be very transparent. And I want to also let that be a sign for anybody that wants to redefine something in their life that you can always do that. You don't have to keep the same spiritual opinion or spiritual perspective. So in the past, I would say, that manifestation is everything. And it's this, you know, it's what I ran my life off of. And while it was so freeing and powerful to like, listen to Abraham Hicks and just manifest shit, it was so unpredictable. And I found myself oftentimes in a loop, like a manifestation loop. And I start to call it toxic manifestation, where I was actually disassociating from reality. And I unfortunately believe that I won't even say, unfortunately, this is just a genuine concern I have within our industry as coaches and the spiritual community is that a lot of people are, are unconsciously teaching disassociation. So detaching from the outcome, detaching from certain aspects. So that I think is what has given birth to the question that you're asking me, which is what's your perception of manifestation and, and the action piece? So I don't teach manifestation anymore. What I teach is having a relationship with the creator and asking yourself who and what are you receiving on behalf of? And in that, we're taken into a, a deeper conversation of desire and a deeper conversation of co-creation. 
And I believe that when you ask it through that context, you automatically take more responsibility for the actions that are going to confirm what it is that you are in relationship with. So I look at action as the confirmation, but the vision is, is the vision. So I'll explain this through the analogy of, I guess, being and doing, because that's a really standard, everybody understands that, being and then doing. So the being is, is not necessarily being in a high frequency or being an energetic match. It's being someone who believes and is a grounding point for a bigger vision. And then how long you hold that vision is everything. So a lot of people, when you're talking through the lens of manifestation, if it doesn't happen in a certain time, they let go of that vision and they get another one. And they're like, why is it not working? Like, well, you put the other vision down. So now we're over here. So to me, it's about not necessarily the frequency, like rate rising, but it's how frequently are you going to hold this vision, like repetition, then match that with inevitably what actions, decisions, and choices will you make on behalf of that vision? And also how frequently will you do that? To me, those two things together begin to move you into a more wholesome, connected conversation. And then the umbrella to all of that, in my experience, is the body. Like we have to bring the body back into it. And I get really concerned when I see people say detach from the outcome because I understand what they mean is, you know, don't become obsessed with how it happens. I think that that's true. But how I teach it is once you hold the vision long enough and you're holding it and you're like, I'm not letting this go. I'm not letting this go. Oh, curveball. So I'm not letting it go. Oh, so I'm not letting it go. And I'm going to do the, I'm going to do this decision. I'm going to do this, this, and this. In the process of that, what we're really being asked to do is become the how. Mm. Like I am now the manifested how for another biracial black woman to go make a million dollars in 12 months. And I be and I had to have a plan in order to become that how. And my concern is that with manifestation, we're so detached from the how that we have no plan, no actual strategy to to truly become a manifested example of something. So that's a long winded answer, but I would say how I feel is we've got some work to do redefining this. And we just simply have a little bit more awareness that gets to be placed on, you know, reality and, and having a different relationship with reality. Cause I remember, I remember last summer I was really rediscovering my identity as a black woman and I remember everyone telling me, you know, to create this new reality as if the one I'm in now is broken. Mm. And there is a switch of like, I don't want to create a new reality. I want to redefine the reality I'm in now. So I've got to acknowledge right now. I've got to associate right now. And something really powerful happened. And I'm mentioning that because I feel like that's a breakthrough for somebody listening is that maybe you don't need to go all the way over there and create a new reality. Maybe it's, it's right here. And that's where the magic is. And that's where I, I really want to call people back into when it comes to manifestation. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's a beautiful reminder to stay grounded in gratitude as well and to give thanks for how beautiful life already is and then just allow it to expand from there. Mm -hmm. And uh, I really appreciate you tapping into uh, that consistency right there. I mean, so important. And then that just helps us even define what we actually want enough. Yeah. Like, 
so that we know that this is our mission. This is where we're going to stay consistent. Have mm -hmm. you ever, um, this is kind of, I guess, a personal curiosity question, because I have a, a few projects that are so important to me, and I sometimes struggle with staying consistent so that they each like propel. Do you ever find that you're working on a few projects and you're like, your attention is scattered or would you recommend yeah. staying committed to one thing at a time? Or what about those of us who are, who have a few different things going on? I want to invite you to embrace your multi-passionate self. One of my, our team member, Deanna Joy, she's our community manager and an overall just phenomenal human being. She has um, a, an ebook called Finally Focused and she's starting this whole multi-passionate movement. And I think it's so needed because a lot of us entrepreneurs are going to have many different callings in our lifetime. And sometimes we're going to get a couple of them at once. So one of the things that I do is I set really powerful contexts, meaning I need to set the room for all the different pieces that are going to inevitably operate. So I'll set a strong context and that never changes. So a context for me is that I am right now building a million dollar business and brand while maintaining my quality of life. So my wealth goes up and my quality of life goes up at the same time. That's the context that's never changing. And in that, I want to start a nonprofit. We have a tour coming up. We have an event coming up. We have a membership stuff, all these different things. So what I think we get to listen out for through the body is God's timing and our timing have to connect. Mm -hmm. So anytime I start to rush, I'm out. Like then I know that I am either in a reality that something's coming for me, like I'm in that survival mode. And then there's the opposite end of I'm maybe avoiding because this vision is so big. And I'm sure you can relate when you have this big vision and it's like, okay, I don't know how to do it. So I'm just going to hold on. <laughs> like, I don't know. Yeah. So there's this equilibrium, this in between where I have my powerful context and I just, I play the inches game. Just a little bit and a little bit and a little bit and a little bit. And I give myself celebrations for the, the little bits. And when I celebrate, I collect inventory for why it's all coming together. And each little conversation and little step will make sense in the end. I have to believe that. So I believe that you already know and anybody listening, you're going to, I think of it like a slideshow, like you'll it'll be dropped right in front of you like focus on this okay boom now we're pivoting here but that doesn't mean that stopped you did your little bit so now we're going over here okay now we're going over here and you just gotta listen for the timing and the nudges mm -hmm. along the way while holding that bigger context because that's to me this is a more fun game we're building a whole puzzle whereas some people you know they have their one lane their one thing and I envy those people wherever you are. I'm like, you got it. Like yeah. you keep me sane, me watching you. But then there's going to be people like you and me who we're building a puzzle. Yeah. And we're going to work on the corner for a little bit. And then when we feel our mind getting emotionally entangled, all right, you're complete for right now. I'm going to work on the center. Okay. I'm going to work on the left corner Yeah. <laughs> and you just trade out. That's yeah. how I do it at least. Yeah, it's really freeing to hear you say that because I think a, a lot of us can relate to being multi-hyphenate, I guess now. And it's yeah. very different than the rhetoric that we were brought up in school. Like, what do you want to be when you grow up? Pick that one thing, declare your major, go to school for this. And then most of us come out of schooling if we went, like being like, what? <laughs> what yes. am I doing? 
So it's very freeing to hear you say that. And just absolutely, I'm, I'm loving your segment there too about divine timing. I mean, I just got this music equipment to start, you know, doing a little producing in, in the house and I'm so stuck. I'm like, I can't figure out how to use this mixer. Like it's been so frustrating. And I just kind of, I'm like, all right, it's here. I'm on the path. I'm just going to give it up and ask for help. And the next day we have this dear friend come over who's a master at like production and we just sit down and we figure it out. So it was like, okay, yes. just relaxing, but also showing up for it and, and trusting that timing is so powerful. Mm -hmm. Yes. Yes. I wanted to ask you as well, like on the more logical level of just back to basics, like what are some business tips that have been really helpful for you to know for women who are just beginning their journey in entrepreneurship? Like what are some business basics you could help us with? Like, did for example, mm -hmm. are you like an LLC or an S corp or like, how do you, you know, just Ooh, like some, business. some little, some little business tips. I'm not an LLC. We're sole proprietor and eventually we'll open up an S corp and we have some plans for that. But when you're first starting out, the first thing that I would recommend is really understanding two things. Number one, your business model. Your business model is the house. I need you to build the house. And I also need you to know the different rooms that are in that house. The house is your business model, like a triangle, I think of an A-frame. Mm -hmm. And then at the base of the house, you're gonna have a room at the middle, mid-tier of the house, and then your upper level. I recommend keeping it simple the first year because especially if you get in the coaching industry, you're gonna see all kinds of stuff, shiny object, hang on, simplify, no more than three offers, just for a little bit, like let's get your feet wet. So you build your house, you know what your rooms are and your rooms represent your revenue streams. You got to know your revenue streams. You got to know the rooms in which the money is going to flow in. And then once you have your house built, I need you to understand your business strategy and your business strategy are the actions and the decisions you're going to make to fill those rooms. So that's going to look like maybe launching or starting off selling a low end product or starting off selling high level coaching. And their strategy to do that is going to look a little bit different depending on just who you are as a person. But what I see a lot of beginner entrepreneurs do is they'll have a lot of strategy, but no house mm -hmm. to keep anything in, or they have the house and then no strategy to get anything in. So I need you to have both. You've got to spend time having both and it doesn't have to be sticky or dusty or like, this is lame. It gets to be fun and arousing because a woman and an entrepreneur with a plan is unstoppable. So your strategy is your plan. And then your, your business model is the house that's going to hold those plans. So that would be number one is just getting your business basics. The second thing is to open up a business checking account and a business savings account. That's where all of your profit and your revenue is going to live because entrepreneurs tend to wait till they start making money to do that. And I'm telling you, you're going to thank yourself when you get it set up right off the bat. All the money from the business goes into the business checking account. You're going to use the business savings to save for taxes. Start now. Don't be one of my entrepreneurs trying to do a payment plan with the IRS. Been there, done that. Doesn't work out. So it's not fun. Like it takes forever and you want to be prepared. All of this is going to start to give birth to your wealth identity. Many entrepreneurs, and I know there's some listening who are two, three years in are nodding their head like, yep. Wish I did that in the beginning because you make it to like, you know, you're making $10,000 a month and then you're like, I should probably get a business checking account. I should probably start saving for taxes. And it messes with your head and messes with your identity. And you're like, you kind of have imposter syndrome because a part of you is out of integrity. 
So mm -hmm. I would in invite any beginner entrepreneur to really start your business in integrity, having those two things set up, business strategy, business model, then getting your, your bank stuff set up so that your money is safe with you. And then the third thing that I would do is begin understanding the marketplace. The marketplace are your potential clients. And I don't want you just to know what their pain is. I need you to understand what their desired outcome feels like. Because if we only know their pain, we'll just trauma bond and put out products that poke at their pain and then they're buying you through the lens of pain versus, okay, I know that you've been through some, some stuff. I understand your pain. I understand the obstacles that you are holding right now. I also understand your desired outcome. And you have to understand how to articulate that you are a guide or a teacher or a coach that will walk them through the steps to get closer to that desired outcome. Now you can't guarantee they're going to get it because unless you can follow them to the bathroom and all the things, you don't know what they're doing all day. I don't know what you're doing outside our coaching calls, but I know that here's my value. I've done this and I have this proven, you know, system or process or modality. And I have, I find that valuable. And I think it could add value to you. If you can understand how to clearly articulate that to the marketplace, you're golden. So essentially I'm asking that you understand the sacred technology of sales. And I think that a lot of entrepreneurs start and they're like, I'll get to that later. Let me just get some cash and you'll do it, but you're going to have to understand sales. And there's really, to me, I think sales is sacred. It's beautiful. It's life-giving. It's powerful. So surround yourself with, I love the word that Lacey uses, expanders mm -hmm. who are already representing what you desire. Get into closer proximity to them when you have your business model, your business strategy, and you understand the marketplace and you got your money set up. If you walk into the room with that, you good. Let's go. Oh my God, Tori, thank you so much. You're just giving us such tangible like work to do. Like you just gave us a worksheet in a way and I'm so grateful for that. Um, I love what you're saying about sales too. And like you just, you had a little paradigm shift in there for me around like the trauma bonding, like instead of selling to their pain, sell to their joy. Like that's a really beautiful shift there. Mm -hmm. um, I just finished listening to Expert Secrets by Russell Brunson um, mm -hmm. on Audible, which was a great sales book for anybody who wants to listen to that one. But about storytelling, it's so helpful to like have yes. a story and like really get clear on your channels and how you express yourself and your story, which is what I guess I'm, what I'm working through now is like, how do I, how do I communicate this in, in the most empowering way and the best way? Yeah. I always say selling is telling. Selling is telling the greatest story you've ever told. So when I say learn sales, yes, you got to learn the power of storytelling. And I also look at sales as, we'll just give you a little nugget, write this down. Selling equals telling. So selling is the process of telling somebody very clearly why what you created exists. So where did it come from? Why is it here? Why is it in the marketplace? And then sales is the receiving of money or their time or the email that you just collected. But a lot of people are selling as if it's receiving and they're like, well, why isn't anything happening? It's like, well, selling is service. It's giving the story. So you got to show up in that. And then the other end of the room is like, all right, now that I'm 
the story's told, we, they're clear, I'm clear, we're jamming. Now I'm in my sales receivership where I receive the money. And that's where people get stuck is they don't know how to make that transition. So I think making that transition is you learning the technology of sales. And I could, we could get out on sales all day. Like I, I love, love, love teaching sales. Cause I think it's just, I think that when an entrepreneur understands how to sell your life, just gets so much easier. <laughs> it gets so much easier. Yeah. And you're right about it. it. It's really fun to start exploring once you get into it, because I, I think you touched on this earlier. It's like studying human behavior and why we, mm-hmm. why we are the way that we are. What's our driving force? What are our needs, you know, on a person to person basis? So it's very yeah. exciting. It's like, it's, like, it's psychology. It's, it's very cool. To, it really is. Yeah. I can totally nerd out on it. And yeah. we're being like, we're in relationship with selling all day long. We just get a little bit in our head when it's our thing because of, you know, the belonging stuff, all the stuff we've been talking about on this call. So, you know, for any entrepreneur listening, the faster that you can decide that you belong in the room, the easier selling is going to be because then you don't have to, you don't have to sell yourself and them. You're already sold and then you just go. Mm -hmm. But many people are like selling to themselves. And then they're like, okay, now I'm going to go into the marketplace and talk about my thing, <laughs> you know? So there's power and really understanding how to articulate your value. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And belonging. That's such a good point. And like the willingness to be seen because you're not going to be willing to run an ad or speak to your audience if you're afraid of being seen and heard, which is that's mm-hmm. probably a huge hurdle. Absolutely. And I guess yeah. my, my final question for you really is like, when did you, was there a particular time when you saw your business start to like really shoot off, like from like a, a $1,000 a month in your coaching to like, was there like a, a real shift or was it a lot more gradual? Like, was there a big change at some point for you mm-hmm. that you can pinpoint or like what changed in your business model or your practices that got you to take a little bit? I don't want to say a quantum leap because I don't really believe in quantum leaps like that, but um, you know what yeah. I mean? What? What, what new learnings came in for you that you were starting to uh, notice a big difference? Well, I remember eight months into my business, we had a huge month. We were going from like $2,000 a month to I had a $12,000 a month. It slapped me in the face. Like I was not, I, I was not ready for that. I didn't have the business model to repeat it. Right. I didn't have the strategy to sustain it. I didn't have the energy or the, the belonging energy to feel like safe with it. So those different things happened. And then we went straight back down. So Mm -hmm. I remember that very clearly. And then I remember after bankruptcy. So before I filed bankruptcy there, I was in a sticky situation because, you know, the business in my life had changed so much that we were, we were in a lot of debt. It was such a dark time. And I remember my lawyer saying, if you make any more money, you actually disqualify for bankruptcy. And I was like, well, interesting place to be. Like, I need money to file this bankruptcy, but you're also telling me not to make money. It was so confusing. I made the decision to file bankruptcy. It was a huge risk. I knew that I I needed to do it. I, and I'm really grateful that I, I was able to do it. And after that, I felt so emptied. Like we were doing pretty fine in the business but you're always feeling behind when you have this glooming thing, like 
we didn't make great we didn't make great decisions in the past and my i got unengaged and my financial situation changed so i really had to move through all the blame of that and i remember it was right after bankruptcy 2019 i i distinctly remember sitting on this bench after bankruptcy and i was like this is going to be a masterpiece like this has got to be a masterpiece mm -hmm. I know that I have it in me to do and run and, and be a businesswoman and make this work. And I decided to just focus on one thing. Whereas before I was focusing on just getting cash and I was trying anything to get that cash. So I was like, I'm just gonna focus on one thing, one-on-one -on -one coaching. We had our first $10,000 month. And then I was like, okay, I'm gonna do that again. We're gonna focus on one-on-one -on -one coaching. We had like a $6,000 month. So not that much of a dip. And then I, once that was stabilized, I added on another thing and then I added on another thing and it kept getting bigger. Then we did 16,000, then we did 20 and it all added up to a six figure year at the end of it. It wasn't all straight the same number, but I think we had just went a little over enough for me to net like a hundred K and I was like, I did it. We did a hundred K. My answer to your question is to simplify. I think that's the biggest thing as I remember simplifying and making it easier for myself to not only hold the money, but to have the money come in. And I was under the impression that more offers meant more money, but it never ended up that way. I simplified it to one main offer. I just focused on that and then I added from there. So that was my six figure shift. I would say when it went from six figure a year to six figure months, that shift was much more rooted in, in my, my belonging, my leadership, my willingness to, I mean, not just be seen, my willingness to be judged, my willingness to be told you're wrong, my willingness to, to be, you know, people make up all kinds of stories about me now, but when I was filing bankruptcy, they wanted to be my friend, they related to me. And then all of a sudden you do the thing that is impossible to most people and there's all kinds of narratives projected onto you so i had to be okay with that I had to be okay holding multiple realities multiple truths so anybody who's scaling from six figures to seven figures to eight figures you likely already have a business model that works in a strategy your next evolution is being okay with holding multiple truths if you're like, I need, I wanna to get to six figures, I want you to really focus on your business model and your business strategy alongside honoring your identity of wealth. So let those two exist. And those are the paths. Those are the two big things I remember. Oh, so good. And yeah, the courage to be polarizing, so powerful because mm -hmm. people don't wanna rock the boat, but it's like, well, then you know clearly like who, who your people are and who you're selling to, which is incredible information to have. That's wonderful. Um, oh yeah it's a bitch slap at first but it's great after you're like okay <laughs> <laughs> yeah because none of us want to feel like we're not liked but there's so much power in that and i love that you were like sitting on the bench like this is about to be a masterpiece because now like people trust you i feel like because you've been through the whole circuit like you didn't you didn't mm -hmm. yourself made and like i feel like that's just makes you so much more rooted in authenticity in a way that's like oh if she can do it, I can do it. She's been there at a really low place where a lot of us are going to end up or hopefully just work out of. 
So, yes. so powerful. You can do it. You can do it. Anyone listening. Absolutely. Yes. Stay in the room. I always say it. Don't leave the room. Stay in the room. Mm. Well, Tori, thank you so, so much. You just packed in so much wisdom into this hour. I'm so grateful for you and the work that you're doing. And um, so tell us, how can we work with you, find you on socials, everything? Yes. And I loved all the questions you, you asked. That helps tremendously. So thank you for having me. If you want to come hang out, I'm mostly on Instagram at I am Tori Washington. That's my personal brand. And then our company House of We, that's our membership where we work on ancestral trauma, cellular memory, all around wealth. And that is wealthembodimentflow.com or at, at wealthembodimentflow on Instagram. And so if you want to do like more money stuff, that would be where you go. If you want more business stuff, it would be I am Tori Washington. And we have our sales program coming up, Sales Genius. So if you're interested in learning the sacred technology of sales, that's going to be starting at the end of July. Amazing. Such, such good information. Well, thank you so much again for being here. I can't wait for people to get familiar with your work if they haven't already. All right, you guys, thank you so much for joining us and being here today. I'm so grateful for your presence. I hope that you're feeling inspired and ready to up level in whatever way is going to be right for you. I mean, I'm here like making a plan for the next couple years, like how can I save to, you know, buy my first house, for example, and flip that? And what can I put back into my business? And what other streams of passive income can I create at the moment? And uh, most importantly, what do I need to heal internally and subconsciously to prepare for that shift in identity um, and step into an identity as a wealthy woman? So just to hear those words and speak those words is intense, Um, but uh, I'm just excited for this and I hope that you're feeling the same way. All right, and again, you can find Tori at I am Tori Washington on Instagram and ToriWashington.com and I'm at Helen Denham underscore and HelenDenham.com and on my website, you can find links to past podcast episodes and guests and blog posts and links to my music. I've got new music coming out soon and I'm so excited to share it with you guys um, over the next couple months. And uh, again, my about me videos up on my homepage. There's merch out. I've just loved designing this merch for you guys. Um, There's like t-shirts and tote bags that say you are loved and uh, it's really cute. It's been really fun to uh, work on that. So I think that is it from me, but uh, I will talk to you soon. Sending you so much love.